What's up, everybody? Thank you for tuning in to the Real State of Retail podcast. This is episode number four, and I hope you already tuned in to episode number three with the amazing Wilbur Breslin. Today, we have Beth Azor from Azor Advisory Services with us. And Beth is a friend, uh, somebody that I admire in the commercial real estate field. Um, She's doing amazing things. She just released a book, which you'll hear about. And uh, she's using digital media in a very creative way, and that's what connected us. Uh, So I hope you enjoy the episode. Check it out. Welcome to the Real State of Retail podcast. We are your hosts, Jason Ciano and Russell Helbling. We are retail and real estate experts that focus on emerging concepts in the food, fitness, and wellness sector with a flair for social media and digital marketing. In this podcast, we'll be discussing the post-internet impact on the retail and real estate industries. Each episode will feature inspirational guests and thought leaders in their respective fields, giving their input on how they believe retail and real estate will look tomorrow. Now let's get it popping. So we are here with the one and only Beth Azor, close friend of mine, uh, an absolute beast in the commercial real estate space. Uh, Also, I want to say, you know, somebody that I admire for using social media uh, heavily and, and subscribing to Gary V's method as well as many other people's methods, but that's kind of how we connected initially. Um, and uh, it's just awesome to finally have you on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Thank you me. for coming. Thank you, Russell. By, by the way, this Thanks was this here. was supposed to happen yesterday. <laughs> oh, great. We won't go into that, but <laughs> we had to reschedule for today. Yeah, I, we can tell. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Do you want yeah, to tell, no, yeah. tell the audience Dumb why? Blonde. Yes. So we were in the Uber and um, frantically trying to get from the airport to the hotel, drop off my luggage to turn around and come here. And, you know, in New York, you know, I'm from Fort Lauderdale. Yeah. So we don't I don't really do the Uber thing or right. the taxi thing. And there are bikers like bikers that like you come die. sweeping yeah. by the car. Dangerous. So we opened our door and there was a biker that sweeped by and it kind of freaked me out. So I then, uh, like he's like, wait! So the Uber driver, everyone's, and so then we, then the biker left and I said, okay, we gotta go. And I ran out of the Uber car and we went up to our hotel and we went to the desk to check in and I looked down and no purse. Oh. And I'm like, Oh, Did your crap. stomach go into your throat? That's like well, the I was first... happy I had my phone. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I was too. Because I we so, would have been waiting a was, long time. I was like, oh, yeah. you know. So then, um, and then I was right then tipping the guy. Like I was on the Uber app to tip, and so I doubled the tip. And then I thought I'd have Brilliant. that number. Yeah. But when you once the once the transaction's complete, you lose the phone number of the right. guy. Who right. knew? Right. So then there's this application process of I lost something in my Uber. You know, will you agree to pay fifteen dollars? And here's the number. So I so the whole time. By the way, they can up that to like, would, well, are you willing no, no, to well, pay a thousand dollars? And you would have. I did that. So yeah. so for an hour while you and I were texting back and forth, and I'm I'm saying to Josie, you know, my A number one who's with me this weekend. Um, I said, start, you know, at some point we have to start canceling the credit cards. So she's like, well, we can just freeze them. I'm like, okay, start the freezing process after th- after 30 minutes. And then this is why you're very nice to your Uber drivers because right about then, about an hour into it, where I'm praying to St. Anthony, because you know, if you're Catholic, you pray yeah, to St. Anthony course. for lost things. That's and right. then the phone number rings and, and I said, 
one. And he goes, Miss Beth. And I'm like, he goes, I have your purse. And I'm like, wow. and I have your hundred dollars. Hey. <laughs> How fast can you get back to my hotel? Amazing. And then, you know, but, but by then I had missed doing this podcast. So I had texted you, you know, dumb blonde and, but, but you got to have a true New York experience. I, it was right. truly a New York. So now of course, after every, now we've taken seven Ubers and I make sure I check before I get out of the I Uber. I told you when I saw you this morning, my biggest fear when I get out of the Uber is, did I leave anything behind? Yeah. So, absolutely. But what a great New York experience that they came back. Everything was in place. He got a big bonus. Everything's happy. The only problem was we had to reschedule. Well, listen, it didn't end up so bad for us. We ended up filling that space and we did a podcast. Awesome. And uh, we're here now. Fabulous. So let's dive in. Okay. All right. So, Beth, how did you get into commercial real estate? So my parents were in real estate. I got my license when I was 18, while I was in college, did the whole residential thing. And then after um, college, I got a job with a not-for-profit making a whopping 11,000 a year, which is about 30 today. And on the weekends, I did residential. After two years, my not-for-profit salary went from 11 to, thir 11 to 23, which is like you know, 30 to 45. And I was working seven days a week because I was doing residential on the weekends. And my executive director, God lover, came up to me one day and said, we love you, but your ambition exceeds us at the not-for-profit. I'm the executive director and I don't make more, much more than what you're making. Sure. Why don't you go do the real estate gig full-time and volunteer for us? How great was that as a boss? Sure. So I'm like, good idea, because I was tired of working seven days a week. So I went um, and did the, the real estate thing, which was residential on the weekend. And in about a month, I was miserable because I went from working seven days a week to sitting in a trailer at a luxury residential <coughs> development. And I went to the developer and I said, we need to have a marketing program. He goes, no, 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 no. We're building luxury homes. You sit in the trailer reading People magazines, and when people walk in, sell them. And I'm like, I'm going to kill myself. <laughs> so um, after a couple months, uh, someone I knew said, you should get into commercial real estate. And I said, gross. That's selling I thought it was selling land. That's more boring than this. They said, no, no, no. There's this thing called leasing. I go, well, what's that? He goes, oh, developers build shopping centers, and you are the leasing agent, and you help a bagel shop open <clears throat> for their American dream. They, you know, they're, they come over here and from Cuba or wherever and that you help them open their, their bagel shop and you're invited to every bar mitzvah, uh, christening, wedding, you're part of the family. Sure. And I said, done, sign me up. And um, I said, well, she said, there's this company in Miami called Terra Nova and they have a training program, call there. So I called up and I said, who's in charge of your training program? And they said, oh, this woman by the name of Donna Abood. And I went, Donna Abood from Florida State. And they said, yeah. Well, she was a sorority sister of mine. Wow. And I called her up and she goes, Beth from Florida State? I said, yeah. She goes, you're hired. Just come meet the boss. Amazing. So uh, the, there was 11 people at the company and I joined them. And the day I walked in, like goosebumps. Like I just, I said, I am meant to be here and in this business. And I was there 18 years at yes. that company. 18 years and rose to what level? At President. The, I thought so. Wow. So I went from... You're so humble. You didn't yeah. even go there. Yeah, I had to pull it out of you. Yeah, I, was, yeah. um, I worked there. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I was rookie, an associate. A for... rookie leasing agent where we shared a rent-a-center. Do you guys have rent-a-center? Sure. We had a rent-a-center table. I, yeah. We're four rookies with a box. And that was our conference room. So when the boss had a, a meeting in the conference room, the four rookies had to take our boxes and go 
somewhere else. And we went, when I left the company in 04, I had been the president for six years and we had 150 employees. That could have been like the first WeWork, by the way. The box. box. We went to WeWork yesterday. Pipeline, the girls from Pipeline had a cocktail party and it was so cool, the yeah. WeWork thing. You Very know? interesting. Very interesting. So, and I'm sure we'll get there because retail is evolving tremendously. Um, this is my 18th New York ICSE, which wow. is pretty crazy. Um, You're so young. You look so good. You well, started when you, you were nine? Yeah, or? yeah, and 11. Yeah. Um, so, you know, but it's it's so interesting to watch how the industry is evolving. Um, clearly, retail has a different meaning today than it did five years ago, 10 years ago, although what's so interesting about our space and why I think you and I are uh, doing it differently and understand kind of the new world is um, things are changing so much faster than they used to and what used to, I think, change in like, let's say a decade now changes in like six months. Um, what's your take on that? And where do you think that, it, that, how do you think that's gonna change the role of a broker, let's say, in the, in the industry? Oh, there's like, there's, you know, there's five hours in that question. I know, but Um, touch on it. I I think, you know, so you and I went to Agent 2021 last year, right? The Gary Vaynerchuk event where there was real estate agents. And I was telling someone today, I think there were, what, four commercial agents there? Yeah. Me, you. At most, yeah. Yeah, maybe. Like four or five of us. Right. Um, You know, what he talked about and what they talked about was that there would be no broker, broker for the agent that the broker, like the house, yeah. would be removed. Right. And you, because, and then I think Ryan Serhan was there speaking, and he right. said, you know, um, if there are brokers or agents out there doing personal branding, right. what, what does the house, the broker, bring to the table, right. right? Now, of course, I think the broker brings a lot to the table, but I do see that in the next few years, if people jump on the bandwagon, Right. We have seen very little of that. Very little. I, on the commercial side. On the commercial side, yeah. right. I, someone asked me today, how many, what percentage of, do you think of the commercial industry people are, are using social media as a personal branding? And I said, I said, I think it's 1%. And they went, really? I go, okay, let's say I'm wrong and it's 10%. It's not 10%. But it's not but 10 yeah, It's definitely not. It might be Three, we are very slow to change. We collectively as a group, the industry, well, the industry, industry. right? And and then you know, someone said to me, "Well, is it because of the age? You know, and and because of the recession, we lost a whole generation of people coming into the industry, right? So true. So you've got you know the older generation. I call the the older women the well healed." women right the vets and then you have the newbies and we are missing this so i think it may take us generations to get to the 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 20 to 30 year olds to jump in to the extent we're doing it i really believe it's going to take a long time at least for our side of the business so we're just a slow moving slow changing industry yeah you know but i do think the whole thing with retail you know, it's now how many articles, you know, we went through what five years of retail's dead to now retail's not dead and online retail are, are, are adding bricks and mortar. Right. It's like, hello, not so, something we in the industry already knew that if you have a bricks and mortar and an online store, your sales 
are much better than like 30 to 40 percent better right so if you know macy's closes a store their online sales go down right right so now you've today at the icsc conference there was a whole panel with six online retailers who are adding bricks and mortar which one what, what it, tenants were they because oh i missed gosh, that gosh you're going to ask me that well, um, birds, a few uh, all birds Thank you. Obviously, All those, right? Some uh, weird, some that I didn't know. like Lily something that I, something, <laughs> yeah. But there were like five Casper. or six. No, I don't Casper think Casper. wasn't there, but yeah, they have a cool. It was a cool section. I didn't really have to check it out. I just kind of walked by. Yeah. Uh, there was like a big, uh, like a little write up on neighborhood goods and all these other yeah. concepts of four post and. That's, I mean, that's the Listen, I, absolutely. But I think, and we were talking about this on the ride back to the hotel um, to meet you. We were, I was saying, I agree that retail is not dead. I agree, you know, kind of like Gary V, right? You have to kind of do everything. Should I be on Instagram? Should I be on, right? LinkedIn? Should I be on Facebook? Right. Yes, 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 right. yes, right? So I do think that retailers need to do both and do both really well. But I still don't think that the, that the, online retailers that are actually rolling out brick and mortar are gonna fill all the space that's vacant. They're definitely not. Right, so so who is? So I do, I think medical, right. I think education. Right. I think our educational system is really messed up and I think you're, we're gonna see major changes in that space, but another slow moving, slow changing industry. Absolutely. But um, depending on you know our economies and what happens with taxes and charter schools, I just think there's more education that's going to come in. Definitely. Um, and be placed in a retail setting? Yeah, I think in malls. Yeah. I think you could see a Dillard's become a charter school, right? Yeah. Or do you have Dillard's up here? Yeah. Uh, no, we don't up here. Okay, but yeah, department stores, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, I think that you see <laughs> hospitals i think you see high schools you know I we're already seeing that definitely yeah you know, so, public libraries i mean right. you know absolutely yeah, i mean hospital systems taking old supermarkets yeah but that's that changes the dynamic of the property and has an impact in a positive or negative way on co-tenancy so let's transition for a second and can you put your landlord hat on absolutely right, I, for so, sure i own six shopping centers uh, that's my uh, more, most comfortable place i know and that's that was my segue so i signed a contract with beth when we met in march yes. that i was going to buy a property before march <laughs> <laughs> it's not looking that good. Come not on. for lack of trying. But by I, the way. I have I I have a deal. Okay. Not my deal. That you're gonna put me in so I can uh, actually Yes, and then you're gonna be able to see live that, up people? to your commitment yeah, and you're making the contract I, work. I mean right here. Everybody yeah. should podcast just so people put them in their own, in their deals yes. to make sure that they. Hey, um, I'm on this podcast too, guys. Yeah, yeah you're in, you're exactly. In. You're it's in. not my deal, but I'm putting money in. I really believe in the deal, and okay. it's Miami, Excellent. so you'll be able to. Yeah, I love Miami. Yeah, I know you do. Love that. So when you started in the industry, was becoming an owner an important thing to you, or was it not even on the horizon? Something you didn't even think no of until later. Yeah, no clue. My boss came to me one day and said, "We're buying a public shopping center, which is a supermarket center." Um, you want to put any money in? I said, I don't have any money. I was like 28. He's like, okay, well, and then they bought it. They increased some rents, refied it, and everyone got their money back. I said, oh, I got, the next time he asks, I got to be ready. He asked three years later, I had no money. <laughs> this time though, I guess I was valuable. And he took me to a local bank and he co-signed a $50,000 note for me. So I was able to invest 50,000. Our sponsor has arrived. The coffee uh, provider of uh, the hotel that we're in is now 
delivering coffee and pizza and pizza. I'm sorry. So we can we can keep going. All right. So Russell will come back and join us. So he he co-signs a loan and then I increase the rents and then we refi out and I get my money back. And so then I got the bug. So now I'm like, oh my gosh. So so at that point, so that was 1992. I was 32. From that point on, 10% of every commission check went into this not touch account so that I could start investing. And That's then brilliant, by the way. Amazing. The, with yeah. the 10%? Yeah. So you, I love that. Everyone, everyone do you it. Go 10% it. every commission. Uh, I then purchased, while I was still at that company, four more deals, invested in four more deals. What types of real estate? All retail, well, re power center, local strip center, grocery anchored center. Amazing. So um, small pieces, we would joke that we owned a blade of grass. But you know, hey, blades of grass become you know bushes and trees, right? Yeah, absolutely. So then I left in 04, that company, um, to raise my son and be more involved as a parent because when you're running a big company with 150 employees, it's crazy. And my nanny was basically raising my son. I was a single mother and I said, mm, I didn't have a kid at 40 to have my nanny raising my son. So that's why I left. But my goal was to buy a deal every two years. So that would be my goal. I'm gonna buy a shopping center every two years. I've been gone 15 years. I own six deals. I gave back a deal and three pieces of land. So I'm beyond where I, so I acquired more than my goal, which is great. Amazing, amazing. And I think a lot of us, you know, even if we're not conscious of the fact that we'd like to own real estate, when we start in the industry, it becomes a goal of ours very quickly. The biggest challenge is kind of the quicksand effect of being a broker and living paycheck to paycheck and not having the money when the opportunities come. Um, but finding creative ways to find the money uh, and, and bet on yourself and actually getting the assistance of people who are trying to give you opportunity and help you is For really sure. critical. So. Well, I think the discipline, the, so the discipline of not raising your lifestyle to these commissions that are rolling in, right? Like, you know, we, you know, we do that. Yeah, we buy course. the bigger cars, we buy the boats, we buy the houses. And so the discipline is pay yourself first, right. put that 10% in or 5% in or whatever first. And then, and then what, and then while you start thinking, okay, one day I want to start talking to people who are doing it or um, talking to people saying, I want to do it, or let me know when you're doing it. Cause maybe I have, so my mission in my, my, my latest mission, I'd like to have lots of them, is I want every leasing agent to be an investor because if you talk to anyone in our industry who's buying real estate, the guy or girl that's the most valuable is the leasing agent. Right. And all these people are making a gazillion dollars based on the wisdom and market knowledge of the leasing agent. And who's the guy that's not benefiting from wealth because of these acquisitions and purchases, the leasing agent. Absolutely, and, and we're actually uh, the last to get paid, you know, even when our payments do. Right, well, uh, that's a whole other story. Shame on those landlords. So my well. last deal that I bought, um, I had four leasing agents that I invited to come in at 5,000 a piece. Mm -hmm. And you know, one I think one through in 10. Mm -hmm. I always say to people when I'm buying stuff, only give me what you can afford to lose because real estate is risky. Of course. And, and oh, by the way, don't ever call me about it. <laughs> I'll give you quarterly reports and then leave me alone. But, um, but I just think it's so important that le the people that are doing the deals are investing. Right. 
and not, you know, it's not just based on your last check or your last commission. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that's the, you know, the best advice that anybody can give anybody uh, that's at any stage of, you know, being a leasing agent. So I hear you're writing a book. I wrote a book. No, it's out. It's out. Come well, on. it's coming. Oh, coming it's being out. delivered December 15th, which okay. is now in two weeks. That's like It's been written. Uh, we've pre-sold uh, about 130 copies. And what's it called? It's called... Don't say no for the prospect. Don't say no for the prospect. Amazing. Tell us about that. What does that mean? So that means, um, so, you know, I've worked with a lot of leasing agents over the years and uh, I train, you know, companies across the country, you know, Kim, the, from the Kimco's of the world to, you know, the, the dad and son who work in Indiana. Sure. And uh, subconsciously or unconsciously, we, you know, all people, not just leasing agents, but all people, we put these barriers in our heads, right? So when I go and teach and train, I'll say, so, you know, did you consider talking to the guy across the street to move? Oh, he would never. Right. He would never. Don't say no for the prospect. So I always say, don't say no for the prospect. Ask, what's the, so what's the worst thing that could happen? He says no. Well, when you didn't ask, he said no. Right. So you have to ask. Absolutely. And it's this common theme for 15 years that people, they just, they are afraid of rejection, or they just aren't creative, or they're scared, whatever it is. Sure. So the book is a bunch of stories about how I, you know, that I have lived through where I didn't say, you know, where I maybe said no for the prospect and then learned my lesson, or when other people, so it's all stories. It's That's fun. True. It's, it's, you, when you're reading the book, it looks like we're talking like just like this. Absolutely. I, and, and, you know, part of when I've known, obviously, about Don't Say No uh, for the Prospect, but I was simply saying that when I started early in the business, we used to say, don't be judge and jury, um, because a lot of our brokers are the first thing that they say when you suggest something is they give you their opinion of why it's not going to work. Their uh, opinion. Their opinion of <laughs> why it's not Exactly. Right. And, you know, I think everybody can learn that lesson really quickly because you don't know everything. And crazier things, I always say, crazier things have happened. Right. right? Well, I always say, well, what's, like you just said, what's the worst thing that's going to happen? They say no. Right. But then maybe you sort of dialogue about something else. Right. And you say, well, it's no to this, but okay, well, then where do you want to go? Exactly. Not to mention, right. or why it's, don't right. you want to go? Like right. we talked. I was just talking to someone today at the at the conference, and there was a Starbucks deal, and and the my client had a property next to where there was going to be a Starbucks deal, and I think this is in Atlanta, and the Starbucks deal was faltering, but the and the, but the leasing agent had given up. Mm -hmm. Like they had called a few times. That deal's happening. They're in a meeting with Starbucks. Starbucks says, our deal's not happening. Would you do this with a curb cut? And the landlord, my, my client says, no, how about a build a suit in the parking lot? And Starbucks is like, really? So again, yeah. you have to ask. You know, we I had a client once um, that wanted a, we had a former Kmart and they wanted to do a Costco deal. And my best friend was rep representing Costco. So I'm like calling her, you know, can we put Costco in this location? No. Can we put Costco in this location? No. I mean, literally nine times I asked her. And finally my client was like, I'm done with you, Beth. You can't make this happen. Ah, uh, right, knife to the heart. I want a meeting in co at Costco. Mm -hmm. So um, I call my friend and I'm like, okay, my client is done with me and you, and he wants to go directly to Seattle to meet with these people. And she's like, okay, I'll set it up, you know. So we prepared this, you know, big market package. 
I, I don't get to go to the meeting. So my boss and this guy, and our client flies to Seattle and comes back with the freaking Costco deal. Really? Because she was saying no. She well, I, I think that she was saying no. And then, it, but I do believe, I am a big believer that get in front of the people with some information. Yeah. It's kind I, of easy to say no on the phone and without being in the market. Yes. So when you can go to a retailer's headquarters and have a face-to-face -face or with tenant rep, do you guys up here do, um, do landlords come to your office and do portfolio yeah, reviews? of course. We just did two last week. I literally know all these brokers. Mm -hmm. Kara and I did this two last week and we've gotten three or four potential deals out of it sure. because we sat in a room and we talked. Absolutely. Not at an ICSE where it's frenetic yeah so there's, there's two things I want to touch on a lot was said and, and in the commercial real estate business it's it's an information business and it's a relationship business so if you reach out to somebody on a piece of information that you think is interesting to share with them a property that they might be interested in a, a tenant that a landlord might be interested in if it doesn't work there at a minimum, you're touching them, you're relevant to them, they're paying attention, right? And that transitions into social media in a major way. Sure. Um, in addition to that, I think that it's very, the difference between a good broker and an amazing broker slash advisor, I hate the word broker, by the way, I don't consider myself one because I turn more deals away from my clients than I make because I'm not out for a fee. I'm out to do the right thing and doing the right thing is always the right thing. Yes. We could talk about that forever. That's a, another reference. My but favorite quote. Yeah, absolutely. And it's so true. And it's how I am where I am in the industry, unlike a lot of other people. And I think that's the biggest difference today. And that's the, the biggest challenge for a lot of brokers in the industry in the future when there's less tenants making deals and the economy turns, and that's inevitable, it's not if, it's when, there's gonna be another shakeout, clearly, of people who are not doing the right thing and actually playing a major role in helping understand what makes somebody tick and helping them multiply, duplicate wins, and limit their losses and failures, and that's why I consider myself more of an advisor because that's what I, I pride myself on. Um, but if you're picking up the phone or if you're sending somebody, a tenant like a Costco, information on something that doesn't make sense. It's very easy to get interest from somebody when the story's t told properly. And I think that's the biggest difference between a good broker and a great broker advisor that it, you have instant credibility when you know exactly what they look for. And even if what you're suggesting or putting in front of them doesn't appear that way at first glance, when you explain why they right. should pay attention to it, that's the difference. For sure. So if she flew to Seattle with something that, that didn't make sense for them, even though they might have glanced over it and, and she, that person didn't have the story and didn't understand what makes them tick, no, you can get on a plane, you're not coming back with a deal. But that yeah. goes back to understanding why it was a no. Right, and, right. And you might believe it. You know in your heart of hearts it's right. Mm -hmm. We'll find out why they said no and then come back with all the data that shows them why it shouldn't be no. It should well, be yes. Yeah. But also this. I think also this happened. It, that was over about a six to eight month period. Man, stuff changes. Oh, yeah. Time changes. Okay. Things change. And that's why it's so important for to have a CRM program so that you keep up and you keep following up because things change. Right. Right? I mean, Absolutely. a retailer could say no 
you know, three months ago, and it's a different story today because maybe they're a public company, they, they missed Wall Street's expectations, they need to open so many stores, and all of a sudden your store that was the B site is all of a sudden an A site. Absolutely. And I think that's, an, again, another big challenge for brokers and, and agents is when you hear no from somebody, you just assume it's always going to be a no. And that's what's so challenging about our business, right? You have to be so self-motivated and aware of the fact that things change. And I tell all of my people that a deal's never dead. If you're working on a deal, I love when a newer broker like gets really discouraged because a, a deal quote unquote died. The deal didn't die. There's just an impasse. Let time go by. Talk to both sides. There's going to be a solution. If it's, if it's meant to be, it's going to happen. But never look at it as dead. That's a major mistake. Well, look at it as another opportunity. Because even if, it, let's say, I look at it, if it is that particular deal is dead, well, let's figure out how to do a different deal. Mm -hmm. Well, and how, how about this? Or pivot to do something. Just pivot into something else. In mm -hmm. South Florida, we have a, a little group of people. And once a quarter, we get together and we talk about our dead deals. Smart. And the four or five people in a room, it might have been dead for me, it's not dead for you, right. and vice versa. Right. And we leave that quarterly meeting with, you know, Jason's five dead deals could be one for Russell and one for me. That's amazing. So Smart. think about doing that. And that's that. with yeah. other brokers. Yes, competitive, Com competitors. Yeah. And they're other landlord leasing agents, not tenant rep brokers. Right. So these are landlord leasing agents who we may own 10 shopping centers amongst the five of us or, or 30, mm -hmm. then we come once a quarter and we bring, okay, I didn't, I didn't make a deal with this nail salon because of this reason or da da da. And we come with, everyone come with their five dead deals. Usually something happens and we don't take any fee from each other. Right. It's just it's just a share, you know, because if, if, if we can all increase our occupancy, what the heck does to our rental rates? Right, absolutely. So I'm not, so if all you get my, rise. yeah, if you get my dead deal, good for you. Right. I'm not saying, oh, and now you owe me 10%. That, that's not doing the right thing. I agree. I, right. I mean, well, then it also, it'll come back to you. Just right, forever, right, of so. course. So think about that. That's amazing. That's I love idea. that. Yeah. Because I mean, your I, dead deal is someone <laughs> else's not dead deal. Sure. Well, listen, I, I'm all about that because, you know, again, sharing information creates deals and, we're very open and willing to share, but I'm not sure that all of the brokerage firms that are in our space are willing to do the same, you know? So I think it really depends on the individual in a lot of ways. And I think that a lot of, uh, a lot of the cultures actually of companies that we're constantly, um, you know, around essentially other brokerage firms, um, they're not as, you know, they're, they're not as friendly or not as willing to share information um, I think we could pick a select few. They're yeah, lost. I agree. No, they're totally. Lost, right? But I think it's the mentality. Yeah. So well, it's and it's small-minded. It, it's kind of like you know, two years ago, I looked around and I said, I really need to learn more about this social media thing. Like, right. like two years ago, I wasn't even on Facebook. Right. What and inspired that though? Like, where did Gary? You, Gary. Gary Vaynerchuk. But how did you discover Gary? So um, I read Crush It, the first one. Yeah. Uh, in like 2009, I was getting ready to give a big keynote, six hours. Okay. Wow. And I don't know, I picked up the book and I was on a cruise and I like read the whole book and I, he just inspired me. But then I forgot about him and I went to about my thing. And then I don't know how I found him again, but two years ago I found him. And, and the more you t listen to him, you're like, okay, you know, there's 
what 200 million people on Facebook and I'm not one of them. Right. So what who's right here? Not me. Right. So so I started getting into it and then I started seeing the value of it from the branding. I I was I already I think I already considered myself a good brand person with good brand. Sure. But I thought here's a way for me to expand that with content and I already had the content. So um so where was I going with that? Sorry. Well, well, when you, first off, when you say that you were already somebody that w had a good brand, are you saying that you in the commercial real estate industry you had a good rep reputation and people knew you? Do you consider that a personal brand, or when you say brand, what do you mean by that? So I think people knew me from being a good teacher. Right. Um, people knew me. A, for being a giver, right. you know, if someone would call, there, there wasn't, you know, how much are you going to pay me? You know, if right. someone, I have a problem with this deal and I heard that, you know, you came and taught our company, but someone said you were a good resource or have you done a deal with Lowe's and can I pick your brain? So I was, I, I think people knew me as a giver. Sure. Um, I always wear red. So know. people know me as the girl <laughs> in red. Right? It's funny because Brittany she said, goes, I, I, I bet she's going to wear red. I, I think I, I think saw I Beth earlier at this booth, da 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 da, da. I, And then later on, I asked her to go grab you downstairs. I said, she'll be in red. Exactly. That's funny. Exactly. I actually asked. I said, was she in red? She goes, yes, she was. Yeah. So uh, That's um, amazing, by the way. It's a, that's it's a wonderful thing. Brand, no, right? it's brilliant. Well, and, and people... You know, what happened was, is I used to wear red a lot. And then one ICSC, I didn't wear red. And they're like, where's your red? And I'm like, oh. Oh, oh. Well, we're, we're going to run will, with this. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and what color is the button? Don't say yeah. no for the button. <laughs> red. How to do that. And my business cards. You know, everything is mm -hmm. red. So my my iPad. So um, So what does personal brand mean to you? What What is a personal brand? I'm, I think I'm going, people that, yeah. that will remember you and why. Okay. You know, like I've had people, so I say, you know, we have what, 30,000 of our friends that show up in Vegas every year? Yep. Okay, how do you set yourself apart? Right. And I had a young kid from Charleston and he, he goes, you know, well, how can I set myself apart? And he was like six, seven. He was like, I go, well, you're pretty tall, right? I go, but you know, you're from Charleston. Why don't you start wearing a bow tie? Right. And he started wearing a bow tie and, and people remembered, you know, sure. I remember two girls, I hired two girls to work with me as junior leasing agents and they both came in the same day. They're sitting across from my desk. They both have blonde hair. They both have brown eyes. And I'm like, okay, uh, tomorrow, one of you have to come in with something different because you will <laughs> always be associated and confused with each other yeah. to, to figure it out. I don't know what it is, but this is not going to work. Right. You, you, you will not be successful. And the next day, one of the girls, the, the smarter of the two girls came in and she had horn rim glasses, but without the, like fake glasses. Yeah. And she, and she immediately, okay, okay, now I know you're you and you're her. And she would wear these fake glasses until she built her own brand of intelligence and deal making or whatever. But Amazing. in the beginning, I said, you got to do something, yeah. you know, and. I, some people are lucky, like, you know, we've got this guy, this rock star in South Florida. His name is Hugh Chen. He's the only Asian in our industry. Yeah, of it's course. a rock star. Everyone I, knows I know him. Hugh a long time. He left the industry for a minute. He, he did. I remember that. He called yeah. me up and he goes, you know what? I just saw Milton Cooper yes. at an ICSC and Milton said, all y'all should go fishing for the next two years. This was in 09. Yeah, I remember. And... Hugh called me and he goes, you know, do you think if I go, I'm going to go travel for a year. Do you think when I come back, I could have a, I still get a job. I go a hundred percent and I'll be your agent. Yeah. I'll be, you know, I'll be your represent. So he left, he went for, he called me after a year. He goes, I'm going to go for nine more months, like another eight months. I go, go. And then he came back 
and we met and he he had no problem getting a job no well he was great before he left you know at that time so you know i think that that's an amazing um by the way amazing piece of advice from milton to you know, we talk about Milton all the time. I mean, he was so so ahead of the medical thing. Yeah. By what the way. was that? That he spoke at Hofstra. This had to yeah. be almost ten years ago. He did a blurb for the back of my book. Did he really? Wow, that's Am amazing. I so lucky. And he was like telling you the future of retail is medical. Yeah. That's the future. I'm I'm investing heavily in it. I believe in it. And we're all like, oh okay. Yeah. <laughs> How, so well, he was and he, he, he pro was, health, yeah, right? He His right. family. Here's yeah. a sto- Here's an example of don't say no for the prospect in Milton Cooper. Yeah. So I'm a I'm a tenant rep. I'm a landlord and tenant rep agent, and young in my career, and I'm representing Baby Superstore, which was prior to Babies Baby's R Us. Us. Yeah. And um. They, I needed to find them a location on this intersection and Kimco had a, a shopping center with an empty anchor. So I call up the leasing agent from Kimco and I said, I need you know 30,000 square feet. And he goes, no, we just have 20, 26. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, but you can't figure out where to get another four and the leasing agent said no. And I said, I said, okay, so I go to the center and I see that they've got literally 30 foot sidewalks. So I called the leasing agent. I said, you guys need to punch out the front of your storefront and get me my 4,000 square feet. And the leasing agent's like, no. I go, I'm going to go over your, your head to your boss. I was young. And I was, and this guy had way more years than me. But I said, I need you to call your boss because right. I think I'm right. And maybe you're right. But let's not say no for the prospect. That's right. So Mike Flynn was his boss. And he said, no, I'm, I'm, I can't call Mike. I said, I'm going to call Mike. So I call Mike Flynn again. I have no idea how big this guy is. Sure. Go, Mr. Flynn. I'm just. I represent Baby Superstore, and I'm you know looking at this site in Miami. And isn't there a way we could you know punch out? And he goes, absolutely. Punched it out. Did the deal. Milton called me and said, thank you so much for not listening to our leasing yeah, agent. That's amazing. And we and the, they're still there. Well, now they're babies are us, and now they're probably not there anymore. But for 30 years. Well, that tenant was there. Is the leasing agent still there? No, he's not. He's not. No, uh, he's not. I mean, that that is so... He's the king of no. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah. that's so commonplace, right? Where, you, I mean, you have to be able to think a little bit. That, that's not even thinking outside of the box. And not to mention the fact for a space of that size, you know, like... Where it's like, it would be too expensive. And I'm like, too okay, expensive. well, let's just evaluate Let's it. talk about the economics exactly. of what that means before you're telling exactly. us that. Exactly. And then, you know, another, one more story, and then, you know, we can move on or, or close up. But um, I was representing LA Fitness. And in South Florida, at the time... LA had 36 locations in California and had never closed one, but no landlord wanted them in South Florida because gyms were yeah. passive. You, you just, oh, yeah. no one wanted Taboo. a gym. Taboo. Parking. Right. And so um, a REIT owned a shopping center, a power center, and I called them up. I said, you know, I'm, I represent LA Fitness. Can we, you know, oh no, not interested. I'm like, well, before you say no, you know, they have 36 in LA, they've never closed one, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, no. We have anchors. I go, okay, you have Publix, Marshalls, Office Depot, and Circuit City. Do you remember Circuit of City? Of course. Okay. So I said, um, you know, and, well, we, they will restrict gyms, and we don't want to go ask them. So I said, can I go ask them? Okay, the tenant rep broker. And the guy says, well, why would we let you go? I go, because I think I can get them to say yes. And he goes, let me talk to my boss. They call back. I go, what do you have to lose? Right. So they call back, and they go, you can go ask the anchor tenants, but you cannot promise 
anything on our behalf. Right. Like nothing, right. not a dollar. Right. I'm like, great. So I called Publix, I had a phenomenal relationship with Publix. They said, of course. And the gym was very, it's a huge, like 800,000 square foot power center. So where we were gonna put the gym, the LA Fitness was no far impact. away, right. So Publix says yes. Um, Marshalls, I call, I was very good friends with Don Smith, who was the re regional real estate guy's assistant, Vicky. Okay. Gatekeepers, very important. Yeah, absolutely. So got Don Smith approval, no problem. Circuit City was my client, done. Now I'm down to Office Depot. I'm like, okay, I don't know anyone at Office Depot. I go to my CRM, so important. And I type in Office Depot and this Ron Ricks comes up. I'm like, oh, and it says, met in Vegas at shopping center group party. He collects watches. <laughs> and I'm like, and you sent him a, a, a Sky Mall picture of a watch. I'm like, oh, this is awesome. I had no recollection of any of this. So I pick up the phone and I go, hey, Ron, you probably don't remember me. I met you last year in Vegas at you know one of the parties, um, Beth Azor. And he goes, Beth. You sent me the watch thing. I bought it. I bought it. And he, I go, what do you need? And he, he gives me the approval. I got Stop. four waivers for a huge REIT. I call him up. I go, I got all the waivers. You just have to do the paperwork. And LA Fitness is in that location still to this day. Wow. That's it. That, so that's that one is, of the best real estate stories. Don't say no for the prospect. Don't say no for the prospect. That is an unbelievable story. I mean, tenant rep broker. What landlord would let a tenant rep broker call their anchor tenants? None. Right. Yeah, but you got it done so much faster because they're such like, you know, getting large landlord reps, uh, you know, when I say large, I mean, obviously for sizable companies to move fast is, you know, they're not. You think they're allergic to doing deals half the time, completely. right? Completely. And and it's it's very frustrating, especially when you have a ready, willing and able tenant that belongs there. Very frustrating. For a long time, it seems like they just want to move the paper from here, and they want to put it over there, <laughs> yeah. and then they want to move it from here, and they want to move it over yeah. there. That's why in person. Justifies their in person. job. In person. Yeah. I'm, all, I'm a big big believer. You know, oh, really? You're in, you're, you're Ross, and you're in California? Let's go, Let's all meet. Yeah. And then the pressure of that. It's like, oh, uh, we better move. And then they go, then they want to move the needle. Like, yeah. they don't want to have the meeting. Okay, yeah. well, but if we can't do it, we need to come. And they're like, no, don't come. And then they... Move the needle a little faster. Yeah, I mean, so you know, before we wrap this up, I wanna, I wanna just kind of end on a on a, a social media kind of perspective, yes. where you've come since you signed up for Facebook two years ago. Um, why do you think it's so important that our industry embraces social media, um, and you know, people develop their personal brand and things of that nature, or do you think it's important? Good question. I think that if you want to be successful in any industry, but certainly let's just talk about art. If you want to be successful in our industry, I think you have to have a presence on a platform. I, you know, I know that Gary Vaynerchuk would say you have to be on all of them. So I'm not on Instagram. Right. I'm very little on Twitter, but I'm big on LinkedIn, YouTube, and Facebook. Right. right? So um, I think you have to pick one and probably the one where the majority of your customers are, right? And I think I think if you wanna be successful, you have to be on it. It blows my mind the people that are not on any platform. Yeah. And, they, and they're like, well, wait, we don't wanna be on the platform because people are watching us. I mean, like, yeah. they're already watching you, exactly. right? It's like, it's crazy. So I think it's important because it's just part of our new world. It's like saying to someone in 19, 86, I'm not ever going to get a cell phone because I don't want to be bothered. Right. 
I, I think that's how important social media is. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I've always done a really good job of making sure anytime that I meet somebody, I, I put out a newsletter on Fridays and that I add every single person. Like, the minute that I get a card, I'm like texting my team to put that person into the newsletter, et cetera, et cetera. And early on in, in my career, I would go to as many cocktail parties, shake as many hands as possible. And I think that today, it's so much easier to have a presence on social media where people are seeing you in some capacity, whether it's on LinkedIn, whether it's on YouTube, whatever it is. You know, we're at Saber, we're a little extreme for for the industry. You know, in other industries, we're not even scratching the surface. Right. But you know, for for commercial real estate and re retail in particular, I think we're the only company vlogging. I would say, um, and and you know, I think it's I think it's such a loss for people. I think that. Um, it's funny because I asked Gary a question at Agent 2021 last year, and I said something about like, how do you, how do you try to get people at my company? How do I try to get people at my company more involved in the vlog and so on and so forth? He's like, you don't, you can't sell the unsellable, that type of thing. And Ryan said the same thing, and uh, I said, you know, they're just like invisible. He goes, they're effing invisible, and that's how the whole thing ended. I was like, you know, such an impact. And who in this business wants to be invisible? It makes no sense to me. I think that's fear. Yeah. Right? And it's, you know, it's fear of the unknown. I tell people, they go, well, we don't, I don't know how to do, I don't know how to do Facebook prospecting. I go, well, you didn't know how to drive either. And you figured that out. Right. Like, it, which is what Gary says, right? So I think that, I just believe social media is networking on steroids. Absolutely. It, you know, and, and again, you can hit a wide, larger audience, but I do believe that people are using social media incorrectly in my, you know, advice i think that we have to do, be doing a lot of content and not just posting our listing flyers totally right i well, mean that, you got to make some noise you got to differentiate people are not looking at the same mundane basic shit in their feed that's yeah. constant well, can i ask a more like a, like a tactical question yeah. mm -hmm. so linkedin like i'm not linkedin savvy i have a ton of connections on linkedin but i'm definitely not leveraging them we talked we've talked about this yesterday um what are some tactics on LinkedIn to use that are that you found that are effective that we could implement immediately? Because I know 2019 we're yeah, talking about heavy. Going heavy in LinkedIn again. And I think you have 5,000 followers. I think I have so, the same. And like, but how am I interacting with them other than posting in the, my timeline or whatever they call it there, or creating content that's better for there? Because is video good there, or is written word good there, or do I want to just message people directly just to create connections and set up meetings? I don't know what's best. So yes, yes, and yes. Yeah. So, but, so I think you have to decide what's your avatar client, who's your client you want to reach on LinkedIn, right? So, so for my, for me, my avatar client is someone that's going to hire me to train their people, how to lease space. So I then produce content video and written and it fluctuates three months ago linkedin posted that that written contact was getting way more um attention than video but it changes so you have to i do a mixture but so i'm constantly doing content on you know your lease you know hey leasing agents here's my tip of the day because that's my audience right so if your audience is retailers that want to come to 
Long Island and Chelsea and all these markets, I don't know. Like when I see you guys do, I'm up, whoever, I'm up on the rooftop and look down at this intersection. Phenomenal video. If I was a retailer, I'd like, I gotta hire these guys. They know the market. So I think that if your avatar client is retailers expanding in New York, the, speak to them, write to them. So we've got a guy that is brand new in LinkedIn in South Florida, and he's been driving markets and posting market, unbelievable market information. Unbelievable, and I, I'm so applauding this guy. If any retailers wanna be in Palm Beach County, this guy's posting, so I drove Wellington today. Wellington has 43 shopping centers of da da da, and it's great stuff. Right. So again, Pick your avatar customer and then speak to them. Even yeah. just think, I'm only going to speak to, you know, if I know you guys represent Starbucks, but I want to represent Lululemon in Long Island. Speak to Lululemon in Long Island. Right. And know then your audience. other people will watch it and they'll go, well, you know, so then Starbucks, someone's going to say, who should I hire in Long Island? And some chick in South Florida is going to go, I don't know these guys, Sabre, but boy, oh boy, I keep watching what they're posting on LinkedIn. They seem to be the only people that know anything about Long Island. Right. And that's how LinkedIn works. And, you know, um, retailer, I'm, I'm watching LinkedIn for news. I get all my commercial too, real estate yeah. news from LinkedIn and, and Twitter somewhat inst instantaneous. But retailers are, you can go on and I'll show you this offline about, you know, you can say, um, for me, VP of leasing and go into people and do search. And I can, you know, just in the grocery line, add, you can do real estate manager. So add to your 5,000 contacts, the avatar client you're looking for. You can add them or yes. just request them? No, you can request yeah, yeah, yeah. them, but But how do you great. search that? Did you I'm know? Gonna, I'm gonna, I didn't know that. Oh, it's so awesome. Yeah. The other thing you can do. For me, it's mostly inbound and that's. Yeah, yeah. well, you gotta change that. Right, so, me too. So, but, but again, that's, the retailers are on LinkedIn. Yeah. And they're looking, you have to say, you know, tell me, a, throw out a, a well, you don't want it. So if you want a retailer, you just have to think, what does this retailer want? Like, I didn't know, you know what I learned today? That Amazon is going into Long Island City, which is in Manhattan. I thought it was in Long Island, in Long Island. It's in Queens, so yeah. And I, the five boroughs. Correct. But, right. but I, I thought, remember when I said, oh, how exciting oh, for yeah, you. Yeah. Well, but, it, we, we, we work Long Island City, so it is still very exciting. But I thought it was, and they're Correct. like, oh, you you know, that's not, but right. whoever, there are people like me right. thinking Amazon, Long Island. So right. you guys should do a LinkedIn post, the difference between Long yeah. Island City yeah. and Long Island. And you're the perfect person to talk about that. And this is information that is important because I'm looking like an it, idiot it, out It's there. very funny because Russell, you know, we had a meeting a few weeks ago about Long Island City because Russell has a team of uh, brokers that he manages that work only Queens. And this is a big deal. It's a, a huge this deal. Is a very big deal. And it's he, a lives, huge, he lives right you're there. You're the perfect yeah. guy. You could be yeah. on the sidewalk. Exactly. Why? Right? And then you, yeah. can do, you can do a video and then you can do a written thing. And, and again, there are retailers right now are confused like me. Sure. That are from California and don't know the difference. Right. Okay. And then there's some that are not confused, but want to start getting some information. We're going to wrap this up with one last. We're having okay. so much fun. That, we are. You know, we could go on forever. One last question. If there was a movie about your life, who would play you? Oh my god! That's our favorite question. 
<laughs> so everyone says that uh, Helen Hunt and I look like each like I look I, like I, Helen I, Hunt. I get that. And then I don't know um, the woman that played Dharma, Dharma and Gregor. You sure. guys too young. So no, no, no. I don't know Jenna Elf. Jenna yeah, Elf. I met her once. So, the, about so, yeah. so, so, so those are the two people who they who people go. Has anyone ever told yeah, you so? Yeah. I would pick someone that I supposedly look like. Sure. There you go. Fair enough. Awesome. <laughs> well, we'll let you go eat dinner. Yeah. yeah. Um, you're hungry. I'm we, hungry. Yeah. I mean, I, I want to thank you, obviously, for thank going you. out of your way to make it here the second try around. <laughs> and, and she has her purse. <laughs> and listen, so where can people find you on social media? So uh, Beth Azor, um, YouTube, Beth Azor, Facebook, and Beth Azor, LinkedIn. And where can they find the book? Don't say no to the prospect. Don't, Don't say no for the prospect. Don't say no for the prospect.com or my website, BethAzor.com. For the prospect, not to the prospect. <laughs> right. That makes a lot more sense. <coughs> Excellent. Okay. All right. Well, listen, everybody, go follow Beth, check her out, and we still need to get you into Sabre to do some coaching. So yeah, we're going to make that happen. Uh, and I urge everybody else to do the same. She's amazing, and you're leaving a lot of deals and money on the table without hiring her. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you. Bye, guys. Thank you.